Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight, and our topic is anxiety. Uh, I am in a state of deep peace approaching this topic, and uh, you'll be happy to know there's nothing anxiety about anxiety causing about the topic of anxiety, is there? Um, now, anxiety is an interesting thing. We'll pray in a little bit, good friends, and I'll read a little bit about what the Spirit and Life Bible Study is. But I just want to set this up for a second in case you're watching this and you want to figure out whether you want to watch this episode or not. Let's see if I can hook you in a few minutes here. Um, isn't it interesting? Anxiety is interesting stuff, and it's mentioned in the Bible. I think it's something that all of us experience to some degree or another in a certain way. The parenting of very little children is an exercise in communicating anxiety to the next generation. You know, <laughs> that's dangerous. This is terrifying. Don't you know? And so we're all taught from an early age to to fear. I think of that line from the Amazing Grace, if I have it right. The, the grace was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. We go into fear, and then we have a long journey to try to get out of it, and we'll talk a little bit about what Scripture says about it. There are many, many people, some estimate is there are over 19 million people just in the U.S. alone who suffer from social anxiety. Anxiety seems to have a physical component uh, about which I don't know much, and it has a psychological component about which I don't know much, and it has a spiritual component about which I know nothing, but we will be uh, <laughs> looking at that from a scriptural standpoint and see if we can tease out some answers for what to do about the spiritual part and what spiritual anxiety is and how we can get to spiritual uh, fearlessness, a sense of safety, and so on. So that's where I'm planning to go tonight. Uh, let me read you a little bit about what, who we are. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning that it is in alignment with the teachings of Emmanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, as he's called in the Bible, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from the life of hell to the life of heaven. Can I invite you to join me in an opening prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth, the God who is both divine and human. You know what the experience of being alive in this world is, Lord. We pray for your guidance on how to navigate the ocean of anxiety. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. Good to see you all. Sending out greetings to those online, those getting the audio file, which I'm glad to see is turned on and so on. Here's friends one. on the phone up in Canada who are currently experiencing a snowstorm, all kinds of exciting things going on. All right. Um, yes. So acknowledging that anxiety, I, I truly don't mean to convey the idea tonight that anxiety is something that can simply be solved with a spiritual silver bullet or something. Um, 
uh, I, I tend to think there's more to it than that. And the fact that there are physical uh, pieces, psychological pieces and so on, is a very complex thing. And if you've experienced that in yourself, I'm amazed to see in myself how they interact with each, you know, how different things can interact with each other in, in, the, in the human spirit. It's hard to even tease out what is like some spirit flowing into your mind or whatever, and what is the fact that you ate strange things or didn't sleep enough or, or, or whatever it is. It's, it's very complex. Um, but we're talking tonight about what we can do on the spiritual level and what scripture means by uh, anxiety, by which I assume it means this kind of spiritual anxiety that lies at the root and how we can deal with that. Uh, let's start with a lovely picture of anxiety, shall we? Can you turn to your Bibles and at the very left-hand side there, you've got the books of Moses. And there's Genesis and then Exodus and then Leviticus. And uh, I want to go to Leviticus chapter 26. Now, Leviticus 26 is one of those several different passages that describes blessings if we do well and curses if we don't do well in our lives. And it's got a particular statement on the curse side of the equation, starting at verse 36 and going down to 39. If our dear reader could have a look at that. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. Now, this passage does not, as far as I know, use the word anxiety, but see if you can see why I would think this is relevant here tonight. Faintness in the heart, okay? The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. Mm. They shall... Have you ever had that? I, this scripture is interesting, and Swedenborg talks about this at some point, that you sometimes when you're walking at night and you're, you're scared, just a, you know, a little tiny, tiny little sound of a little leaf can really terrify. You know, it, it, it can be terrifying. Go on. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword. Although and there's no sword there, apparently. And they shall fall when no one pursues. Yes, it's a sad kind of picture, isn't it? Go on. They shall stumble over one another, as it were before a sword, when no one pursues. Yeah, no one's even chasing them, but they're falling all over each other because there's this terror, you know, that's haunting them. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. Mm. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And this is one of those great passages where you die many times over. Okay, you've been eaten up, you've perished, and then, verse 39. And those of you who are left. Yes, yeah, those of you who are left. <laughs> you wouldn't think there'd be anybody left at that point, but go on. Shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. Mm. Yes, a sad kind of picture. It's interesting that sometimes we think of evil or uh, maybe there's this sort of cultural impression of, of devils that they are tremendously uh, fearless and confident and, and so forth. Swedenborg says that the evil spirits that he experienced in hell just live in abject terror, just a horrifying terror. And the Lord spares them from it as much as he possibly can, but the choices that they've made just they're vulnerable, you know, they're vulnerable to evil and to hell. It's the heavens that are a place of safety and confidence and peace and rest and so forth. So that's kind of a sad picture. You see what I'm talking about? It's kind of a spiritual anxiety where you can't get that rest or that, 
that peace of mind. Okay, that was fun. Uh, let's look at some... Oh, why don't we start with an encouraging passage to offset that. If you go to the right, and you'll go through Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, get to Second Kings, if you will, because there's a story I imagine many of you are familiar with. Uh, we don't have time to read the whole story, but uh, the entire there's Elisha the prophet and his servant, and all these horses and chariots. In verse 14 of 2 Kings 6, it says there's a great host of them. They all came by night and they surrounded this city. And there's Elisha and his servant, like two of them against the, the Syrian army, you know. And uh, so uh, look at verse 15, if you would. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. I like this picture because it sort of describes that feeling of anxiety, doesn't it? Like the, how you would feel if you woke up in the morning and what's usually a, a normal landscape is just surrounded, uh, completely surrounded with an army. You know, like there's no place to run, no place to hide. Go on. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Yes. Isn't that a great expression? Again, it doesn't use the word anxiety, but isn't that a great expression? Alas, what, you know, what are we going to do? That kind of panic uh, that sets in in this face of it, it's totally understandable. It's a horrifying situation that they find themselves in. And what does Elisha say? So he answered, do not fear. Do not fear. Let me tell you, good friends, um, the word, I wanted to look up some more stats on this and I didn't get a chance. But uh, there are things that are very familiar in Scripture that only occur maybe 60 times in the Bible or, or things like, you know, things that we know all about that don't occur that often. The word fear occurs 456 times in the Old New Testament. Afraid is something like 214. And it's only, those are only two of many words like terror or terrify, and, you know, so on. There, there's just a lot of, Scripture talks a lot about about fear. It's actually one of those topics that's so huge, there's no way to, to encompass it in, in one night like this. But we'll just try to talk about something. And we're focusing specifically on anxiety. But he says, don't be afraid. Now, why on earth? So don't be afraid. Like that's, and scripture says that many, many times, specifically, don't be afraid, do not fear, fear not, and all that. How can you, have you ever tried following that command? I mean, that's a command, you know, that's kind of a difficult command to just, okay, I shall now reach into my limbic system and turn off my fear. Ah, that feels better. You know, how are you supposed to respond to something like that? Well, he gives him something. What does he say? Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You mean like the two of us and the entire Syrian? I don't get what you're saying. Go on. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Mm. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And if they're all around Elisha, the implication, isn't it, is that these mountains, uh, they're surrounding the enemy. Like there's Elisha and the servant, there's the whole Syrian army, but then there's a larger army on the mountains all around them. Uh, I just like that passage because uh, 
it seems to me to talk to these two different perspectives. There's sort of the worldly perspective of the servant who just can only see the army and is terrified. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. So something that we can um, pray for is uh, open our eyes. In other words, there's something about anxiety, uh, this kind of spiritual anxiety that I'm talking about that may interact in complex ways with the other levels of anxiety, but it involves not being in touch with the truth. You know, we, we get scared when we've only got half the picture or, or something. We're not in touch with the truth. Elisha didn't seem to be shaken by it. He's telling his servant, don't be afraid. I mean, look, you know, maybe Elisha can already see them all there, these, the, the full of horses and chariots of fire. Mm, awesome. Uh, oh, let's turn to the right, if you will, and go through First Chronicles to Second Chronicles chapter 32. And look at verses 7 and 8 there really quickly. Be strong and courageous. Mm. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, mm. nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. There it is again. Right? There's more with us than there is with him. Go on. What's that next verse? With him is an arm of flesh. Oh, an arm of... What a, what a nice description of these <laughs> hordes of armies, you know. Then was an arm of flesh. Go on. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Mm. And what did the people do? And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Yes, be strong and courageous. So you see what I mean? There's something about changing our thinking or our mindset that helps us get into a different state. I'm not saying this is a quick thing. You know, it's a lifelong practice of trying to think from a higher perspective that might help us rise above the turmoil that's going on in the lower self half the time, you know? Um, all right. Okay, let's, uh, okay, let's turn to the right, and you'll go through Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, and stuff like that, Jeremiah. Let's get to Ezekiel. We're jumping around quite a lot tonight, friends. Ezekiel chapter 4 has an interesting statement here comes across differently in the New King James and the Old King James. But I want to read just verse 16 because it gives us a little sense of the correspondence. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety and shall drink water by measure and with dread. With dread. Isn't that interesting? Eating bread by weight and with anxiety and drinking water by measure and with dread. Uh, bread, when you have bread and water, then bread would have to do with the heart. So anxiety has something to do with the heart here, and the dread has something to do with the mind, these two different feelings. And again, if you are familiar with correspondences, and I don't expect you to be, but uh, these things mean that uh, what it implies is that anxiety has something to do with with, uh, it's the opposite of love. There, there's a lack of love, there's a lack of truth in it that causes this anxiety and dread. I wanted you to just fix that in your mind before we go. Now, I want to give you some, some spiritual medication for anxiety. Shall we do that? Let's go into the Psalms to the left in the middle of your book. And I want to take you through some 
Scriptural anxiety meds here. Psalm 37. And I want to read verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Now, what I sometimes do with, with something like this is I want to carry that medicine with me, and so I commit some of these scriptures to memory so that you can carry them around. So if you start to find yourself getting into a state, do not fret, it only causes harm. Now, it's interesting that it says it causes harm. You know, it causes harm. Well, look at this fun thing. Uh, turn to the right to Proverbs chapter 12. This comes up entirely differently in the New King James than the Old. Uh, and I, don't, I didn't look into the Hebrew or whatever. But uh, 12.25, Proverbs 12.25, 12.25 is Christmas. This is Proverbs 12.25. Nice little Christmas present for those of you who are anxious. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. It what? Causes depression. Anxiety in the heart of man. It's interesting. I was watching a video clip the other night where some medical person was saying that anxiety and depression are linked because in anxiety, your thoughts just go crazy. Boom, boom, boom. Thoughts going crazy, 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 crazy. And your frontal cortex gets so overloaded with trying to think that it gets fatigued and goes into depression. Now, I was amazed because I just, the day before watching this video, read this statement, anxiety in the heart of man causes Depression. But there's a little hint about something. What is the next part of the verse there? But a good word makes it glad. Huh. I wonder if that could be a good word. Like, in other words, someone else could help you with your anxiety, as Elisha did with his servant. He said, oh, hey, look at this from a different perspective. You'll see that we're, we're doing all right, actually. We're, we're okay here. A good word makes it glad. Fascinating, huh? Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. What verse was that? Uh, 1225, Christmas. 1225. Oh, yeah, 1225. And um, uh, let's turn back to the left to Psalm 131, which is a beauty to commit to uh, memory. Okay. It's very short. Nice little sweet little psalm. Whole thing? Whole thing. Let's do the whole thing, shall we? In you, O Lord, I put... Psalm 131. Oh, sorry. 131. 131. I'm sorry. 131. whole thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. This one will look a little 131. shorter. 131. Lord, my heart is not, my heart is not haughty, mm. nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Mm. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Mm. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Yes, isn't that something? So it's fun to chant that little psalm, commit that first, you know, commit that psalm to memory and then just ch chant it to yourself. My heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have come, and so on. You know, uh, because it talks about the thinking in an interesting way. This is about opening our eyes, but there's also sort of like, I don't know how to summarize this, keep it simple or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we can get very tangled, can't we, friends, in um, 
I have total compassion about this, do it all the time myself. We can get very tangled in these huge, well, what about 30 years from now? Or what, what about, you know? And it just says, you know, I'm not thinking about stuff that's too profound for me. I've just calmed. I like that image of the, to me, the image of the weaned child with his mother is that it's not about breastfeeding. Uh, it's not about whatever. The child is just content, just sitting, just sitting on the lap, you know, just like that, that peaceful, that all is at rest. I, I love that little image. Okay, little anti-anxiety medication. Uh, turn to the right, there's Isaiah 41. I'm not saying, good friends, not to take the evening primrose oil or whatever else, but uh, these scriptures can help as well, I think. Isaiah 41, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Yeah, another nice scripture. Uh, sometimes in very anxious moments, I've actually sort of will reach out my hand and just think about taking the Lord's hand, like picturing that there's a hand there. Uh, you know, the Lord will hold your right hand and say, don't be afraid, I'll, I'll help you. Um, so these, these scriptures are intended to bring some comfort. There's a beauty that will be very familiar to many of you, I'm sure. Turn to the right to Jeremiah, chapter 17. I bet when you hear this, you'll think it's in the Psalms, but it's not. Jeremiah 17. 17, verses 7 and 8, because it so sounds very much like the first Psalm. But it adds some little details that are awesome. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord mm. and whose hope is the Lord. I like that expression. It, his hope is the Lord. You know, he trusts in the Lord and his hope is the Lord. Mm -hmm. And this is not a gendered statement or something as if there's men and not women. Go on. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Mm. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now, I think there's a great deal in there, and I, I, I'm not sure I can do justice to it. But um, if, you, if you memorize that passage and go over and over and over it, you'll see that it has to do with being planted by the waters and the roots go out. Like the reason you're not afraid of the drought and you're not afraid of the heat is like Elisha's servant or like Elisha, you have a, a source of truth that is independent of whether it happens to be raining. Like your, your roots have gone into the river, in the, in the waters, right? And this is a picture to me of getting fed by the Word. The Word is a, is a fountain of, of waters. Uh, it's a river. Um, it's likened to that many times in Scripture. And so this is a picture of being tapped into the truth, in the real in, inward truth in the Word, uh, so that you're not so blown this way and that. Uh, some of you are aware of this wonderful passage, uh, Swedenborg's Arcana Celestia, or Secrets of Heaven, 8478, which uh, talks very much about this kind of state where when things are bad, you, you don't get all you know, crushed by it, and when things are great, you don't get elated, and uh, you just kind of have an even keel. Uh, because you're being fed by something other than just whether this world, you know, this world constantly throws us like, this is great, this is awful, that's horrible, and, you know, uh, but there's something else that's feeding you from within. I love that picture. 
it's something that don't beat yourself up if you're not in that state every day or something. But I think it gives us a little clue of how we could get that. And that last little bit, could you read that last line again, dear reader? Just the last little phrase. Nor will cease from yielding fruit. Mm. I think that's another... Um, I guess I'll just write yield fruit. But I think hidden within there is the idea that there are a lot of actions that you can take. You've probably found this, haven't you, friends, that there are things that you can do if you start to do for others. You know what I mean? Think, think if somebody else is in a worse situation than you are. Get outside yourself and do something. And the, and the do something can be something as small as just um, doing a breathing exercise or people are talking lately about these power poses that, where you just put yourself in a strong, you know, you spread out, take up some space and, and let yourself breathe and so on, right? I, I think there's a lot of things that fit under this. Don't stop bearing fruit. Just keep, keep that up because I think that has something to do with the not being anxious, you know, and not, not losing it. Let's look at, turn to the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. Mm. Now, you, this will be familiar to many of you. This is such a beautiful riff here. We'll read this at some length. And at some speed, maybe. Let's pick up at verse 22. Of which chapter? Well, that would be chapter 12. Thank you. I thought maybe people would intuit it, but maybe not. <laughs> not yet. Pick up at verse 12? At verse 22. Oh, sorry. 12, 22. 12, 22. And I'm hoping to read down to 34. Okay. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Mm. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Yes, that's right. Now, these are all thought, thoughts that the Lord is giving His disciples as kind of anti-anxiety mm -hmm. thoughts. And when you really, you know, He says, consider them or meditate on them or whatever, when you really think about a bird, have you, have you imagined, have you pictured being a bird like you have wings, that's awesome, you know, and you only weigh a couple ounces or something, but you have no hands. How are you going to do your life? You know, no hands. These birds, they don't sow, they, they can't do all this, can't build a storehouse or a barn or whatever. And think about the way the Lord just takes care of them every day, and then the Lord says, and guess what? You're more valuable than they are. Go on. I love this next bit here. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Yeah, you mean to say all that worry and you're not a foot and a half taller? Your, your worry is really not working very well. You can't even worry yourself to an extra foot and a half, you know? Go on. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? I think that's a very serious question. That's a great question and it's something to think about. How powerful is all this worry? You know, man, you could, you could power the world with the, with the worry and fretting and anxiety that, that, that we all do, the calories we all burn just worrying, you know. And yet he's saying it doesn't really do anything. 
And uh, if you're not, and what a great question. Like, why, why are you anxious? It's a great question, isn't it? I, one answer is, well, there are evil spirits who are present in the human heart and mind who provoke anxiety and, and, and get something out of our negative emotion and everything. Uh, there's, there's some other beings that have a stake in our not feeling good. Uh, you know, and so he asks us to ponder, you know, why are you, why are you anxious about stuff? You can't do something simple like make yourself eight feet tall, you know, then why, why bother with the rest? Go on. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If now, then, if you're thinking about being helpless as a bird with no hands, how helpless are you when you're planted, right? Oh, the wind is blowing, you know. Oh, now it's raining, you know. It's a pretty passive position. Go on. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, mm. how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Now listen to this next thing, because there's a direct command in here from the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Isn't that a command? If you, if you take out the part about eating and drinking, doesn't it say, do not have an anxious mind? Isn't that, isn't that what that amounts to? What an amazing thing to say. Don't have a, you know, that, that seems like a challenging command to follow. But he's saying, yeah, don't have an anxious mind. Go on. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, mm. and your Father knows that you need these things. So what should we do instead? But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. That's so beautiful. Isn't that about priorities? You know, if you put the top first, uh, then the rest of it will to some extent take care of itself. Swedenborg hastens to say this doesn't mean, you know, quit your day job and just go beg on the street or something like that. Uh, it's fine to take care of these kind of things. It's really in an inner level talking about good and truth and, and things like that. You know, where is your love going to come from? Where is your truth going to come from? Uh, having anxiety about those kind of things. But you seek the kingdom of God and all these things should be added to you. Uh, I don't think I could quickly put into words what was going through my spirit about seeking the kingdom of God, but it had to do with the fact, I, I used to think of it almost geographically, that it was just sort of like, there's a kingdom of God somewhere, and you should go try to find it. Um, lately, that's been scanning more to my mind as see it, find it. If you don't find it, create it. Like, wouldn't that be seeking it? You see what I mean? You know, try to, try to occasion it as best you can with the Lord's help. Seek the kingdom of God. Uh, and then what does he say? Do not fear, little flock. There it is again. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, that thought can take decades to penetrate the human spirit. You know, decades of, of repentance can be required before you can really take that in. But that's the truth. The, the Lord is thrilled to give us the, the, the kingdom. You know, and so uh, our anxiety is misplaced. We don't an anxiety of this kind, this spiritual kind that we're talking about, is a, a lack of love and faith, a perfectly understandable lack of love and faith. But it's a lack of love and faith. Go on. 
Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself, pro, sorry, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, mm. a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Mm. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yes, okay, so maybe get treasure in heaven. That's easy. Actually, it might be difficult. A lot of these are things that we would pursue and strive for. Don't beat yourself up if you don't get there in half an hour or something. Um, oh, that's so awesome. I just, I just love that passage. I think it's very important and powerful. Some more meds. Okay, let's turn to... Um, okay, we're going to go out through Acts, through Romans and Corinthians. We're looking for Philippians. Okay, so after Corinthians, you go... Galatians, Ephesians, and there they are, Philippians, chapter 4, and let's read verses 4 to 9 because there is advice that Paul gives, and one of these pieces of advice is, is not to be anxious, and let's look at how they all fit together because these are interesting, I think altogether this is kind of an anti-anxiety regime. Let's have a look. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, Let so rejoice. As I think I mentioned last time, jumping and leaping for joy and all that kind of stuff is difficult spiritual practice sometimes when you don't feel so good. But that's what he says. Rejoice, and he says it twice. Number two. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Oh, that's a good idea. Be gentle. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Okay, rejoice. Be gentle. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's a complex sentence, and it sounds weird to say, oh, you're just anxious for nothing. Uh, what it means is be anxious about nothing or over nothing. Does it not, friends? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, don't be anxious about anything. And then the opposite is in everything. What are we supposed to do in order to not be anxious for anything? Pray and supplicate with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Wow, that's really something. That reminds me of when Jonah's in the belly of the whale and he says, thank you, Lord, for rescuing me. And he's still down there in the dark and everything. Pray <laughs> with thanksgiving. Wow, that's really something. And let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that beautiful that it's, it's not saying that you won't feel these things, but it's saying, hey, give yourself to the Lord, right? Make your request to the Lord. Uh, don't, don't be anxious about it. Go to the Lord. And what will happen in verse 7? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't this what we're talking about is protection of the heart and mind. That's what we're seeking when we're trying to get away from anxiety, I think, of that spiritual type. And then uh, the final thing that he says here, and again, I think these are states that take a long time to develop, but he tells you a little discipline of what to do with your mind. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
Yes, so you get what he's saying there. I've written down, meditate on good things. In other words, isn't it true that we sometimes our anxiety is allowed because we sit there and we think, you know, before going to sleep, we carefully uh, review our life to find the most anxiety-provoking thing we possibly can <laughs> to dwell on as we're slipping off into sleep. And what uh, Paul is suggesting here is that we try to think of anything but that. And he gives a big list of like, come on, something, there's something you can think of that's true or noble or just or pure or lovely or of good report. There's some virtue, there's something praiseworthy. Try to stick to that list and, and not go abroad into the other kind of things. And I have found this, I've been doing this for a while, and part of what I did, again, was I just memorized that verse 8 and say it to myself in the evenings before I go to sleep, and then I, I think about one and a half things before I conk out. I, I don't manage to think of anything true or noble or anything, but, but just saying it seems to help. And look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me... These do, mm. and the God of peace will be with you. Will be with you. Didn't say tomorrow afternoon, but, but will be with you. Mm. And uh, doing the things that Paul has taught, you know, following these practices. Again, I think the yielding fruit and the doing and so on is, is an important piece. How, how we act, it comes to mind that, that not to allow that anxiety to rule your actions, right? Not to give into it if you possibly can. Try to press up against it and so on. Uh, but I understand, friends, that there's, it's, a, it's a loaded issue and there's lots of, you know, it's a very difficult issue and there's a lot of anxiety in the human race. Uh, turn to the right and go through Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and I want you to get to Second Timothy, if you will. Another thing in our list of uh, spiritual, spiritual remedies, Second uh, Timothy chapter one verses six and seven, and it's mainly seven I'm interested in. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That is so interesting because what it implies is that uh, there was a laying on of hands but then you need to stir it up in yourself. Like that didn't just do it all by itself. You have to stir that thing up. So that's interesting. I, I don't even know what to write on the board about that. But stir up the gift of God. And then verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, this is very much worth committing to memory and thinking about because there's a couple of ways of reading it. But one of the things that it says is that if you're experiencing a spirit of fear, just know that that doesn't come from God. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, and it sort of helps you identify what is the opposite of the fear. Power. I'm interested that power comes first. Because that anxiety is crippling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. People use that word, crippling. It's a terrible, terrible thing that we're all afflicted with. And uh, power and of love, and of a sound mind. It, doesn't that sort of suggest that that fear, this infernal kind of fear, I'll talk about a positive kind of fear in a minute, but of this infernal kind of fear, it has a, a weakness in it, 
and it has a lack of love and it has a lack of a certain kind of sanity or something, you know? And God is not trying to communicate to us a state of weakness or a, a state of faint-heartedness or a state of insanity. Uh, he's trying to give us a, a, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's another good one. Mm -hmm. Okay, we just got two more of these. Turn to the right and you'll go through Hebrews after a little bit and you get through James quickly to 1 Peter. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 5, which is the last one in there. Just another nice little passage. Three verses here. Start at verse 5, if you would. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And we'll like, go down to 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be hmm. clothed with humility. Okay. Uh, that is, again, I'll put be humble. Right? That's interesting. Okay, go on. Uh, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love this, the way this is worded in verse 6 here. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, mm. that he may exalt you in due time. Yes, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's great. And then what do we do in verse 7? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I love that. That's awesome, isn't it? Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And that cares for you, to me, reads two ways. He cares for you, meaning He loves you, which is true. And also, He cares for you, meaning He takes care of you. You know, both of those things are true. And so, casting all your cares on the Lord. Isn't that similar to what we've been talking about already? Just... They say, turn it over or what, you know, like give it to the Lord kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Good. And uh, one more. Verse eight. Read verse eight. Go. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yes, mm. that's right. That's right. No need to be anxious about that. <laughs> and then uh, turn to the right and we'll get to First John Chapter 4, <laughs> that's quite terrifying, isn't it? Um, verse 4 just seems related to the Elisha story to me. Important verse there. 4, verse 4? Yes. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. And the them that it's talking about is these evil spirits that we just heard about in verse 3. Mm -hmm. Go on. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that like the... There's more with us than there are with them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Greater is he. So that's another good one to commit to memory if you mm -hmm. care to. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Or it's, you know comes in a different order in the New King James. And uh, oh, oh, let's look at um, verses 16 to 18, shall we? In that same chapter. And we First have... John chapter 4. It's awesome. This is the chapter where it says... God is love. You know, just straight up. That's where it is. In 4 verse 8 there. And in 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Yes. Okay. So abiding in love uh, should be on the list somewhere. Go on. Mm -hmm. Love has been perfected among us in this 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Yes, an opposite of anxiety, perhaps, mm. is boldness. Go on. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, mm. but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. Torment. Boy, isn't that the truth? But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Yes. So, uh, easy to write a B made perfect in love. There. That's all you have to do. <laughs> and you won't have that problem anymore. And, um, uh, but it does give us the idea that, you know, dwell on love. Dwell on all those beautiful things that Paul was just talking about. Um, so that's my little list, friends. It's just a little list of um, uh, thoughts that the Lord gives us. By the way, the word thought is interesting. Uh, you know, sometimes in the New Testament, the Lord says, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? And I think he means anxiety, like there's a certain kind of thinking. So even setting aside the word anxiety and anxious and fear and so on, just the word thoughts in Scripture can sometimes indicate a certain type of negative thinking that creeps in. And the Lord always seems to detect this in the disciples or Pharisees or whoever it is. Uh, why, why do thoughts arise in your hearts, he says. Um, now, uh, okay, however, uh, how can I get to 45 minutes in and say however? The, um, the however thing is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And some of you have probably already been thinking about the fact that there is a positive kind of fear that's talked about in Scripture that's very, very important. And it's interesting, it says the beginning of wisdom. And something I wanted to talk about in this connection, some of you may have, have uh, witnessed or caught online or whatever, this series of four Bible studies on Joseph that we did recently. If you look back at Joseph number three and number four, those episodes three and four, in that story in Genesis, uh, Joseph, his brothers do not understand who he is because he, now he looks all Egyptian, doesn't look like an Israelite, has a different name and all that we talked about before. And the long-time reaction of his brothers is just pure anxiety. He terrifies, you know, everything he says terrifies them. He throws them in prison. They're terrified. He puts the money back in their bag. They're terrified. They go back to their father. They're supposed to tell him to bring Benjamin down. They're terrified. They're worried that something's going to happen to Benjamin. There's just fear all over this story. And yet this is a story of, of how it's even a story about how the divine and the human is united in the Lord and how what's heavenly and what's earthly is united in us. And it's full of this fear. But it's interesting that it says the fear is the beginning of wisdom. And what I was thinking about this is that when the brothers become afraid of Joseph, they're even more afraid of Joseph than they are of famine. And that starts their life in a good direction. Instead of starving to death in Canaan, they end up being reunited with Joseph. It's a long time in the story before the brothers ever start to realize. Even 17 years later when the father dies, uh, the brothers are panicked that Joseph's going to kill them. You know, they're panicked. They're still panicked. They're still feeling guilty about what they did to him and everything like that. 
and he speaks kindly to them and comforts them. And I get the picture that eventually, after decades, they're in a position, we never see them actually do it, but they're in a position to look back and you say, you know what? Joseph meant us no harm. We were anxious. Everything he said terrified us. But actually, he was a very good friend to us every step of the way. Look at what happened. We got rescued from the famine. We got brought down. We got the best land. We got to pasture our flocks. We were well taken care of by the most per powerful person in the land. He took care of us, took care of our kids and the next generation. And actually, we've been very well cared for here. We just had a lot of anxiety. But their anxiety about Joseph, can you see what I mean? That there was something, Joseph allowed them to have that anxiety because it was a way of starting to have a relationship. It, it, you know, as a friend of mine who happens to be in the room tonight is, is, is fond of saying, just because you have a relationship with God doesn't mean it's a good relationship. The, um, <laughs> uh, having an anxious relationship with the Lord is better than not. It's actually a step away from the hellish anxiety to start to get anxious about the Lord and to start to have that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but the... Um, it's very interesting to me that the Lord even allows this kind of intermediate state where we're still kind of panicked, but now instead of being panicked about famine or wild beasts or whatever, uh, we're panicked about Joseph and how does Joseph feel about us? Are we doing right by Joseph? And that's a picture of us starting to have a relationship with the Lord and at first fearing you know, that, that he's mean or judgmental or he's going to throw us in hell or something like that. But... That's the beginning, it's a little tiny beginning, but it's the beginning of wisdom to have that fear. Uh, that's step one, fear the Lord. So if I had to summarize this, I would say that we work on changing our thoughts and changing our actions, you know, like get devoted to yielding fruit, doing good and so on. And we change our thoughts in these ways that we've talked about. Then at some point, I think the Lord brings us to where our fear shifts, you know. Uh, in a way, I can even imagine that the servant of the Lord might at first not have been, like it might have been even more terrifying to see the armies of the Lord. Chariots of fire all over, you know, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't reassured immediately because, whoo, you know, kind of terrifying. Uh, Swedenborg, in writing about some of these passages we've been looking at, says that divine truth terrifies our outer selves. It's just the nature of it. It comes, it comes from pure love. But I, you have felt that feeling, haven't you, friends? You read something in Scripture or you have a dream that just gets you or something like that and it's just dong in your solar plexus. Like uh, uh, just uh, the Lord is terrifying at first to us when, when we start to create that relationship. But that's leading in good direction. Let's read a few passages about that. So I think we change our thoughts, we change our actions, then we fear the Lord, and then step 18 is that we realize that the Lord is our best friend forever. And I don't have time to go into steps 2 through 17. But, you know, you eventually get to this point where you realize, oh no, the Lord's a fabulous friend. And you get in that state the angels are in where you're just at peace like that kid on the lap, just like mm. pow. I remember seeing my granddaughter who'd been through a stroke and everything. She's lying in the neonatal intensive care unit. And she is just in bliss 
in the arms of God, you know, just communing with God. It was incredible. And there's chaos all around. You know, the family's in panic and, the, you know, and, and she is just with God. She is so fine. You know, getting back to that state of being so fine. Let's look at a few other scriptures. You got any more, you know, space in your battery, good friends? Um, let's go to the middle of the book. You'll find the Psalms there. And let's turn to the left and go to Job chapter 28, verse 28. I just want to grab a few quick passages about the fear of the Lord to show you a little bit of what I'm talking about. And along with the fear of the Lord is departing from evil. Like you, you fear the Lord and so you don't want to hurt him by doing evil. Look at 28, 28. And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Isn't that nice? So the fear of the Lord and departing from evil, they go right. So the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Turn to the right to Psalm 34, if you will. I just want to read verse 11, just a little. Oh, maybe we'll have to go down to verse 14. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Isn't that nice? I'll teach you the fear of the Lord, yeah. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? It goes right in that passage from fear to peace. Uh, but th that's a journey. You know, that takes us a little while. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 10. I, I don't know if it shows. I, I just love this book. Isn't this a great book? I, I love this book. 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. You can see the opposite of this kind of fear is just not, not believing in the Lord, not caring, like, whoa, there's some book and I'm supposed to do something. You know, just ab absolute. It's like that joke that my uncle used to tell. Uh, which is worse? Ignorance or apathy? The respondent said, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> um, how about, <laughs> turn to the right. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 1. I got all this junk hanging around my head. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Yes, nicely read, good mm. friend. And how about chapter 8, verse 13 in Proverbs? Interesting definition of fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Mm. Look at that, huh? Wow. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, that's interesting, to hate evil. Mm. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 14. Verses 26 and 27. Glad I'm finding so many things my reader wants to underline. That's, that's a good sign. <laughs> In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Oh, what a weird statement. Mm -hmm. Say that again. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Fascinating. How could you? It's not earthly to say fear and confidence in the same sentence, is it? Mm. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. 
Go on. And his children will have a place of refuge. Will have in the future. That's right. A place of refuge. Go on. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Aren't, aren't these interesting passages? Uh, oh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. So turn to the right. It's the next book coming up there pretty much. Isaiah verse, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. It's widely taken by Christians as a messianic prophecy. And what will he be like? The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Mm. Yes. And let's look at Isaiah chapter 33. We're almost done here. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Wow, strange statement. You, you wouldn't think a fear would be a treasure. You know, it's a precious thing to have some knowledge and awareness of the Lord. And I think over time, that fear of the Lord uh, turns into this great love of the Lord. So let's uh, close this out, good friends. There are many other amazing uh, passages we could look at. Let's go to the left, about a quarter of the way into your Bible. There's, uh, go back to 1 Kings chapter 4, if you will. I just wanted to read these just to end up here because this is a picture to me of heaven of the end state. This is what we're going for. It, it's very difficult uh, to achieve that. And there may be many components to it. And the spiritual peace may only be one of them. But look at 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25, because it's got this little picture of, of the end state. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Yes, and if you realize that Solomon is a figure in Scripture for the risen Lord, this is talking about a state of eternity uh, where you're in safety, you have your own understanding, you have your own doing of good. You're, this is salvation that it's talking about, that you dwell safely. You know, mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing. And... Oh, how are we going to find this? Uh, it's no pressure if you can't find it, good friends, but we want to flip into Micah. So it's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. It's the sixth of the minor prophets, which is almost getting into the New Testament there. I know I'm making no sense. We're running out of time. How about <laughs> Micah chapter 4? Do you want to just start and let's read uh, the first five verses there in this beautiful prophecy of what happens in the end of times. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Mm. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Mm. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I love that pairing of the word of the Lord and the law. Go on. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations and afar what off. And what will they do? 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares mm. and their spears into pruning hooks. Mm. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine, there it is again. under his fig tree, okay. and no one shall make them afraid. Mm. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Go on. For all people walk, each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever For and ever. Ever and ever. That's a kind of eternal protection. What did it say? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It says there'll be this permanent state of protection. And I think that's not only in heaven, but I think where the human race is ultimately headed is I think we will in time allow the Lord to take care of some of this anxiety problem for us and we'll get to this state. Can you feel it uh, that you, you're sitting under your vine and your fig tree and no one, no one is in a position to make you afraid. That's what salvation is. It's safety in the Lord. So uh, if you happen to be one of those millions and millions of people who suffer from anxiety, who knows how much of that is a physical thing, how much of that is a psychological thing, how much of that is spiritual, how those complex things interact with each other, and so forth. But uh, in addition to whatever you may be trying, your zinc, your B6, your evening primrose, your oil, your cognitive behavioral therapy, your medication, your practice, or whatever it might be, uh, in addition to that, could we also give ourselves wholly and entirely to the Lord? Will you join me in a closing prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we know that you know full well, having been here in this world, what the frailty of the human condition is, the way that our minds get plagued by worries and anxieties and so on, then it gets reinforced by blood chemistry, the brain patterns and so on and so forth, and it can easily turn into quite a mess. And some people are so crippled and so paralyzed by this Lord. We thank you for the compassion that you have on them, on all of us. Please help us, Lord, as we move forward. Give us a little of that strength. Show us what to do with our bodies so that we can feel more secure and safe. Show us what to do with our minds, what to do with our hearts and our souls. Above all, how to give ourselves to you, to transfer our fear at first to you, and then walk us along that long journey, Lord, to the point where eventually we realize you are our best friend ever and we have actually never been in harm's way. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Let's keep on repenting, friends, in the fear of the Lord.